Bibles to Psalm 62. And while you're turning there, um, I want—I just got to tell you one more story about counsel, okay? I mean, there's just a million things. One of the things that happens is that we see people we haven't seen for a while. And so when I was in seminary uh, 40-some years ago, uh, Phil and Debbie Nelson took care of our kids, or Debbie did, while we were taking classes. And we haven't seen them for 40 years, and it was good to share our, our lives and, and what's happened with our kids and all that kind of stuff. However, when, when we got on the plane to leave Spokane, um, you've never seen so many preachers on a plane leaving. I mean, and, and I, I sat, I always sit near the exit rows, so I get leg room, and so other people do too. And so this couple was sitting next to me, and I said, well, there's a lot of preachers on the, on the plane. I hope that's not a problem for you. He said, oh, no, no, that's okay with us. We think that's wonderful, and we're Presbyterians. I said, well, that's okay. We got talking, and, and uh, they said, you know, but the, the church, there's stuff going on in the church today. They had just seen uh, a, uh, a film on Netflix, a, a documentary about a, a big, a mega church in another country um, that uh, the pastors uh, were living in opulence and the cars they were driving, and, but then that they had private jets and all that kind of stuff, right? And so as they were saying that, walking down the aisle is the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And he's walking in and he walks through first class, doesn't sit down. He walks through the Comfort Plus, which is like the business class. He doesn't sit down. In fact, he sits down just two rows in front of where I'm sitting. And so I said, well, just so you know, that's the president of the Alliance. And they went, Oh, that is so refreshing. Because he walked in with his blue jeans and his t-shirt and just kind of sat down and, and pulled oranges out of his bag <laughs> to eat. You know, he was, you, you get the picture, right? Just a normal, regular individual. So that was all good. And, and it was exciting uh, to see that, that humility and to, and to be led in that way. All right. So... Um, Having conversations with you guys and um, some deep conversations about spiritual experiences and wanting to go deeper with Jesus, um, I'm going to introduce a series of sermons. Lorenzo is going to preach for the next two weeks, and then we'll continue this on and, and the idea of this series is developing intimacy with God and, and experiencing the closeness of the and the power of God in our lives. Now, we get really confused, so let's just talk about intimacy for a second. Let's, we get really confused about what intimacy is as individuals. We are a sexualized culture and society, so the minute I say intimacy, we think of intimate things, and often that has to do with sexuality and sexual behavior. But intimacy is lots more than that. In fact, we are so confused that often we put the cart before the horse in our relationships, and we develop physical intimacy with each other. Um, before some of the other things that are absolutely necessary for real intimacy to happen. 
Because you know as well as I do that as we go through life, the sexual aspect of intimacy is not as important as it once was, but we still need intimacy with each other. Intimacy requires time spent with each other, right? Time spent with each other. I was reflecting because it was Lorenzo's first council and we were hanging out and stuff and um, I was thinking, you know, I've known what, how long have I known you? Five years? Five years. And one of the things that I do as a pastor with individuals that God has called into ministry is I spend a lot of time with them. Whatever person that we've had in development like that, I spend it's almost an hour a week. Um, now, we don't meet every week, but probably 40 weeks out of the year, an hour a week and, and more sometimes for five years, you know, that's a lot of time spent with someone and prayer and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so time, pro but proximity, being close to someone is important to develop intimacy, being close to them and, and, and the aspect of touch, but just spending time with someone is important. Frankly, to really build uh, intimacy with somebody, there needs to be a, a very high level of commitment, a very high level of commitment. You know how to spell love, right? Love is spelled commitment. C-O, I don't know if I can spell it right. Is that two M C O M M I T T M E N T? I don't know. Is that close enough? Did I get it? Okay. So that's how you spell love. So because with intimacy, there's a necessity of trust. And trust happens through commitment. The last two things that I think are important for intimacy are listening to one another. Remember Abraham Lincoln said you have, well, it was either Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain said you have two ears and one mouth, spend twice as long listening instead of speaking, right? Was it Abe Lincoln? I think, yeah. Okay, so, but you know, we, often when we're communicating with each other, even in our marriages and close friendships, when the other person's talking, we're not listening, we're thinking about what we're going to say back to them. Right? Because we have our point of view and we're going to say what we're going to say. That doesn't help. So listening is really important. And then collaboration builds intimacy in relationships. Listening to each other and then sometimes compromising, sometimes working out the details, sometimes just, just collaborating with each other to make the decisions of life. I know Vic and I, when raising our kids, you know, kids will... Um, will play parents against each other, right? So Vicky was the no parent, I was the yes parent. So if they wanted, they'd come to me, and I'd say yes. They, if they went to Vicky, they knew that she'd say no. So we figured this out early on. So when the kids would come to me, instead of saying yes, I'd say, I need to talk to your mom. And then the yes and the no would get together, and we'd talk it out, and we'd collaborate and come up with a plan. I'm not so sure my kids realize that we were that intentional in raising them. I, sometimes I get the idea that they, they just don't know that. So what does all of this have to do with developing intimacy with God? Well, of course, we need to spend time with God. 
We need to listen to God and not talk so much. Getting away, reading, praying, and spending time listening to God. Uh, being close to God. And there's various places where you can be close to God. You can be close to God in this gathering. But don't limit closeness to God into this gathering. Now, you guys know, if you're on Facebook, where do I go to be close to God? Down to the beach, right? People go, well, you know, I appreciate your pictures of the beach, but I live in Montana. I can't go to the beach. I can go, well, you've got some amazing mountains, right? That, you know, I just have my happy place, and that tends to be where I get close to God. But to be honest with you, when I do that and I read and, and, and stuff, I spend time just driving in my pickup truck, talking back and forth. I do not close my eyes when I drive, just letting you know. But those are just times of, of being close to God. There's a commitment level that God has certainly made, right? The, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, and though he should stumble and fall, He'll not be utterly cast down. I've memorized King James. But God is always holding us in his hand. And he's always there. He's made a commitment. And he made the commitment on the cross for us. And Jesus died for us. And we can be assured of that. And we can rest on it. And God really wants to collaborate with us. In, in the coaching and stuff that I've received, um, my mentors and coaches have said, you have two ears. One ear attentive to God, the other ear listening to the people around you so that when God speaks, you can apply it in their lives in a way that they can understand and receive. So, before we go to Psalm 62, let's shift, just keep your finger there, and let's go to James chapter 4, because there's a promise there that I want you to see. James chapter 4. James is, is pretty tough in the preceding verses, but this is what he says in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And what's it say? Come near to God, and he will what? Come near near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up now those are such strange words because we live in a world where everything's happy 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 we want to be positive all the time, and nothing bad ever happens. And, and James is saying, look, this is the issue. Submit, submit to God. Resist Satan. He'll flee from you. I can remember in, uh, in my very church, first church experience, um, we, the church was, was growing, things were going fine, and we started doing outreach in the community. We did a program called Evangelism Explosion, and Evangelism Explosion had you start out, you training two people, and you go out with a team of three people. And I'll never forget that um, I had two women on my team. Um, 
And we would gather, but we would gather on Tuesday night because that was the night that you did visitation, historically anyway. And uh, that's what the Baptists did anyway, so we did that on Tuesday nights. But So we, we would be out, but about, I, we would gather for training about 6.30 in the evening before we would go to visit people that had visited the church. And, the, and Phyllis, who was the older woman, was, was there. And then I'd get phone calls from the other woman. I don't think I can make it. Things are going really bad for me. And I just don't know. And then I would say, come on. And she'd come. And we'd go out and visit. And week after week, it was the same. Until finally I said, when, when are you just going to get serious? Well, she said, well, I just get the enemies attacking me. And I said, well, do you know that verse, submit then to God and re resist the devil and he will flee from you? And she said, well, yeah. You know, yeah, what does that have to do with me? I said, well, resist Satan and, res and make a commitment to what we're doing because the enemy, there are all kinds of people that don't resist the enemy. And he'll go play with them. So resist and be serious and commit to what you're doing. And she did. And frankly, that ministry grew and, and, and grew and grew. And individuals came to know Jesus. I can remember one night in, in a home and Vicki was on a team. She was in the, the second wave of folks that were trained. And, and when, when you share the gospel in this particular way, you ask the question at the end. And Vicki asked the young woman that she was talking to. She said, um, now, I've shared this with you. Does this make sense to you? And the young woman said, yes, it does. And Vicki said, it does? Because <laughs> she didn't think that she did a very good job. And so Vicki, and then Vicki said, well, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And the girl said, well, yes, I would. And Vicki said, you would? <laughs> right? Because God uses us and God does his thing. Amen. Now, that is the promise. The word of God says, if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. Right? Let's say that. If I draw close to God, he will draw close to me. Do you really believe that? All right. There is something However, as we get into this conversation about intimacy uh, that will rise up and show us a problem that some of us had, just for, if you're listening online, a lot of people said yes in here, and that's kind of messing with my sermon. But anyway, let's go to, let's go to Psalm 62, because there is a hindrance that keeps us, because when we consider... Fully drawing close to God, some of us back off from that because it means that we kind of have to give up control. So let's see what the psalmist says, what David says. David had many enemies, right? All kinds of enemies, hassles and problems. For him to say some of these things required a lot. So David writes in verse 1, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? 
Would all of you throw me down? Now, he's not talking to God right now, right? Obviously, this leaning wall, this tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. He's the king. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And then he repeats, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he's my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. In other words, don't, don't trust in men for all these things. He says, do not trust in extortion. Or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And boy, does that speak to this culture. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they've done. Let's pray before we look at um, this passage just a little more depth. Love you, Father. As we consider being intimate with you, speak to us from your word so that we could know that we can trust you in all things and that you'll take care of us. We praise you for that and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the hindrance to intimacy with God that's presented in this particular psalm? And I think that it's that some of us uh, have a lack of trust in being intimate with anyone. And that gets reflected in our relationship with God. While we go through the motions and while we say the right things, when it comes down to it, trusting God is key to experiencing and having an intimate life with him. Let's be honest. Most of us really like to have control over what's going on in our lives. Some of us more than others. So there are some reasons. Six reasons in here. Don't worry. It's not going to be six hours of a sermon. Six reasons of why we can trust God with the deepest things of our lives. First of all, he provides us rest. He provides us rest. And you've got to be honest. Well, I am right now. I'm weary. 1.15, time changes, you know. But I can trust him. But the weariness that's described here is a weariness of soul. 
the innermost depths of who we are. And we have come out from, and it was echoed over and over and over again as we gathered together in these meetings that there was just a sense of weariness from fighting with COVID and all the political stuff that's going on and everything else that's going on around us, there's a weariness that develops. And, I, you know, you got to be honest. How many times in the midst of your weariness have you said, look, I'm just done. I quit. I'm just going to go home, sit in my easy chair, and watch reruns of Law & Order. I'm just weary. I just want to quit. I just want to give up. But he allows us to find rest in our weariness. So as we spend time with him, as we're close to him, as we commit to him, as we listen to him speak to us, as we collaborate with him about our lives through his spirit, he gives rest to us. Let me tell you, um, I, I was in a, in a gathering for all the pastors in Florida and, and somewhere also in the Bahamas. And uh, there were a bunch of us in the room eating ice cream. Now, I got to tell you, we weren't eating ice cream at one in the afternoon or after lunch. But we were eating ice cream at 9 p.m. Spokane, Washington. Ice cream. That was midnight. <laughs> I'm eating ice cream at midnight. You know, yeah, I ate the ice cream. Yeah, I know, it was bad for me. But So we're, we're all gathered around, and um, I'm there with Teddy O'Farrell, and Teddy O'Farrell served in a church that, that um, uh, and Michelle is here this morning. She helped to plant a church in Boynton Beach, Florida, and Teddy was there, and we got talking, and we got looking, and we're like, dude, you know, we're kind of like the oldest ones here. <laughs> you know, we've been around for a while. Then, then the boss says, I'm going to give out a prize to the person who served in the district the longest, just only been in this district, how long? And he says, anybody been in the district 40 years? And I, Teddy and I raised our hands, and then I, and I went, no, 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 I've only been here 38 and a half. So Teddy had been 41 years, 41 years serving in churches. I'm 38 and a half years in this district alone. I've been here 25% of that time. But, you know, in the conversations with individuals and sitting in the table and the meetings that I had with individuals, it was like, you know, I can do this longer. I can get rest for my weary soul. I can serve my king to advance his kingdom. Amen? And so can you. I can trust him because he gives rest to the weary. He also gives salvation. Now, to David, the salvation that he was talking about is twofold. First of all, salvation from his enemies. Salvation from his enemies. The ultimate victory was David's as he was committed. But also, God gave David salvation from himself. David was an adulterer. David committed murder, and yet he trusted God, and God pulled him out. And God is a God of second chances, right? He's the one that gives new life and, and restores us. 
you know, you know that I'm a curb shopper. I like to find old stuff and fix it up. And I mean, that's what this pulpit is, right? This is an old piece of furniture. And Lorenzo and I turned this into a pulpit for a very tall person. Amen. <laughs> you know, that's what we do. To be honest, the best metaphor of God that I know is that God drives around in a 67 Chevy long bed pickup and he looks for furniture and stuff. He looks for people who are broken, who need restoration. He throws them in the back of his truck. He takes them to his workshop and he restores them to his image. He is a saving, restoring, redeeming, amazing God. And you can trust him. He's a rock. Now, in verse 7, it goes beyond. It says, well, he's a rock. He's not just a rock. He's a mighty rock. He's not just a boulder. He's a mountain. And so, therefore, you can stand firm in him. The scripture says that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We're encouraged to stand firm on solid ground and while everything around us is being shaken he's a mighty rock and we will not be shaken he's a fortress now sometimes we need a fortress unfortunately the church today in many ways has decided to be a fortress by pulling away from community, the community out there, by pulling away from all this stuff that's going on around us, and we're just going to protect ourselves. But I believe, do you think David just hid in his citadel? Do you think David just hid in his kingly castle? No, he went out. He engaged the people all around him. So I think what this is saying, as, as we go out and as we make disciples, we go in dangerous places. Yes, all those young people and not all of those that were called to, to missions were you. There were some older folks, too, that were called to do missions. And many of them, we referred to them by only their first names. And they wore masks so that if anybody was watching the video, um, they would not be um, discovered through facial recognition and all of that stuff. There is danger, and they, but they still go out. We are still seeking people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have heard so much. We gather together, right? Nobody's going to walk in the door and tell us we can't gather and, 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 and preach and study the word. But as we go out, he is a fortress around us as individuals and families. But the key is us drawing close to him and him drawing close to us. Psalm 58 reminds us uh, that... Uh, uh, it's, an, it's an amazing psalm, but towards the end of it, it, it talks about living righteous lives and that when we go out and live righteously, God goes before us and he goes behind us. He leads us out and he goes behind us to protect us. He is our fortress, even as we go. However, 
He's also our refuge. You can trust him because he's a refuge. Now, every now and then, we need a refuge. We need a place to go where we can hide from the assault. We need a place to go when we are wounded and broken and weary, where we can just go and hide and have a refuge away from the stuff that's going on around us so that we can recover and repair. We need to go into God's workmanship, uh, into God's workshop. And by the way, this God that drives that 67 Chevy long bed pickup, once you get um, doing better, he'll send you out and he'll let you drive his pickup He'll send you out looking for furniture that needs to be restored. But sometimes it takes a while to find refuge and to heal and to recover. You don't think God will let you drive his pickup? Of course he will. You know, to, he says, go, go where? To the nations and what? Make disciples. Translate it into shore lingo. Go to the neighborhoods and pick up broken furniture. Throw it in the back of the truck. Remodel it, restore it, paint it up, and make it into something useful. Though we're down, the, the psalmist say, the psalmist, <laughs> the, it's okay, 1 a.m., all right. Though the, the psalmist says, we are down in the muck, the mud, and Jesus pulls us out of the muck and the mud, and he cleans us off. He says to Lazarus, come out of the tomb and take off the grave clothes. He's all about restoring us in refuge and then this verse one thing god has spoken two things i have heard power belongs to you god and with you lord is unfailing love this is the king and the king can say whenever he wants execute that man Bring that woman to me. The king can go into the treasury and spend whatever he wants to spend, doing whatever he wants to do. He is all-powerful. And this king says, no, the power belongs to you, God. I am but your servant. And he reminds himself, with you, Lord, is unfailing love. So David says, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in extortion. Don't trust in figuring out how to make more money by stealing stuff. Don't set your heart on riches. Have intimacy with a God that gives you rest and salvation, who's a rock that you can stand on, who's a fortress, who's a refuge, and understand that He is almighty and He is all-powerful. And He is a God that you can trust because the first step in intimacy is not physical. The first step in intimacy is not emotional. The first step in intimacy is trust. And when we learn to trust him, then we begin to walk down the road of intimacy with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, you're